Awesome. Let's get into the Word together. Lord, I just thank you for your Word. Thank you that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you, Lord, that as we open your Word and, and look into it, that your Word looks into our hearts and points out things that are good and things that need to be changed. And so, Lord, I just humble my heart before you. We as a body, Lord, we humble ourselves before your word to receive the word implanted that is able to save our souls. We just thank you, Lord Jesus, who welcome you in this place. Amen. I want to take us into 1 Samuel. We're going to talk about David, <laughs> not that Samuel. <laughs> How often do you get to do that? Probably not very often, hey? We should preach from Samuel more often so that Sam can say woo more. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, half the fun of preaching is heckling. Honestly, it's pretty fun. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about David here, and we're going to go into 1 Samuel 30. And I'm going to give you a bit of background before I get to the actual scripture that I want to reference, um, primarily because it, it really leads up to what I want to talk about. And essentially what I'm going to be speaking about today is, is us strengthening ourselves in the Lord and walking in the strength that God has for us. And so to give you some context on David, at this point in his story, he's gone through a fair amount of things. Some of them have been really good. Some of them have been not so good. Some have been really bad. Up to this point, David has been more or less overlooked by his family. I'm not going to say he's neglected, but when Samuel came to anoint David as king, his father and his brothers didn't even think of him. And then couldn't even find him. He was an afterthought. Oh, yeah, that's right. We do have another one somewhere. And he's out in the field. So let's go get somebody to get him. But that's after they got through everybody else, all the other strong, handsome brothers that he had. They're like, oh, yeah, that's right. We've got David as well. Let's bring him up. He's been out in the wilderness watching sheep. Um, to me, that speaks of a time of, of loneliness, of solitude. We already know he was more or less forgotten by his family, which is kind of funny to see. But in this time, he's talked about, he says later on how he killed the lion and the bear. We see that this has been a training ground for him, that God has been growing him and shaping him into something. He was anointed king by Samuel and then immediately sent back out into the fields again. That must have been a bit of a trip for him. Because on one hand, what do you do with the fact that the prophet, who is accepted as a prophet in Israel, comes in and anoints you with oil, says you're going to be the next king, and then nothing changes? Must have been a bit strange for him. Must have been hard for him to try and understand how to, how to rationalize that in his own mind. After that, he, he uh, was taking supplies to his brothers that are at war. He encountered um, Goliath. And we know that scene well, hopefully from Sunday school, that he slayed Goliath with a, with a sling and, and smooth stones that he picked up. I always have that picture in my head. I don't know if it's real, but it's from Sunday school, where he goes down to the creek and he picks up the smooth stones and he, and he slays Goliath with it. And then after that, he goes back again, and he's back in this time of, of loneliness and solace. And then he's back into, the, and then Saul brings him into his, uh, into his throne room to play music for him. So he's here in the same room as the king he's about to replace. I don't know if, how he must have been feeling in that point. I feel like it would have been pretty strange. Must have been a little awkward for him, because he was still very honoring to Saul, but at the same time, God had put over him that he was going to be king. He experienced great victories in battle. We see this where the, the, the people in Jerusalem were singing over him that Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So he was being celebrated 
And there's this mixture of David being celebrated by people and going through these high points of his life with what at least to me, and I can't speak for what he was going through, but for at least for me, looked like times of, of real low wondering what is happening here, wondering where I am, why am I still in this place? From the point where he was anointed by Samuel to the point where he was actually crowned king, a number of years have taken, have go by. It wasn't a matter of like, you know, the, the prophet came and anointed him with oil and immediately he's in the throne room and he's in the king, or that he is the king. There's a period of time that's happened here where good things and bad things have happened. And in my mind, it's really up and down as I'm looking through his story. Um, at this point now, Saul begins to, to feel very threatened by David. We see that, that this, the scripture says that there was a tormenting spirit on Saul. He tried to kill David several times. As he's there playing his harp for the king, he throws a spear at him and he dodges it. It hits him and hits the wall and sticks to the wall. I mean, that must have been pretty traumatic and at the same time pretty crazy to see. You're just there playing and all of a sudden you're dodging spears as you're going. And so he begins, to, and so after this, he also now goes into hiding. He's a fugitive because now Saul is trying to kill him. So he leaves. And there's this story that I'm only going to touch on briefly because it's all a part of the context. But he goes to the priest, into the, the, the tabernacle, and he receives from them the bread, the holy bread, and he, and he receives Goliath's sword. So it's an interesting little story that's kind of in the middle of this here. And out of that, Saul is furious and kills all those priests and destroys an entire town because of this, because they helped David. So David would have had that on his conscience. And I can't imagine that would have been easy for him to know that he is doing what he at least believes God is calling him to do, what he at least is part of the journey that God has him on. And now he's been responsible for the deaths of not only 85 priests, which is horrific enough, but their entire families, an entire town wiped out by a jealous king who is raging against David and, and, and just ready to, to, to tear down anybody who has helped him in any way whatsoever. He's raising, and he's raising an army. He's drawing men to him. They're not the best of the bunch. Um, you can see as you go further down the story of David how he gets his mighty men that come out of that. And I think that story of how David pulls out of this army of, they're often called worthless fellows. Out of these men, he pulls these mighty men of, of, of valor who do amazing acts of war. And they're very strong, very, uh, like you could make movies off of these guys. But what he's got given to him is not just an army of rock stars. He's got some real worthless people with him, and he's got some good people with him. And again, as a leader, I got to imagine that's got to feel kind of strange. And I hope you can see where I'm going with this, that there's, there's a pattern developing in David's life as we see his transition from being, you know, shepherd boy to king, where there's real ups and downs. There's times of, of what I see as victory, times of acclaim, times of worship that we know of from, from what he speaks of, and times of just loneliness, and times of abandonment, and times of rejection, and times of, of being abused by leadership, and being taken advantage of, and being um, not just mistreated, but also misunderstood. And people are, um, are giving him wrong motives and saying, oh, well, he's doing that for this reason. He's not, he's not doing this for the, the right reasons. And he goes as far as, as going over to the Philistines, which are the enemies of Israel, and he also gets rejected by them, which is, you know, that's got to suck. I don't know. Like, you, your own people reject you. You go to your people's enemies, and they reject you. But what's left, really? So we come up to this place now where David is in this town called Ziklag. 
And the Ziklag has been given to him by, he found another one of the, the lords of the Philistines that gave him this city. And he pretended at this point in time to be on their side. And he would go and he would raid different people like the Amalekites. And, and the Bible mentions the different people that he was raiding. And he would just go and, and attack them and wipe them out. And he'd come back and he'd tell the king that he was attacking Israel and Judah. So the king of the Philistines loved this because he's like, oh, this is great. This man is a man of war. He's very effective at it. He's very, you can see from what the scriptures say that, that David is good at this. And from the king's perspective, he's gained a mighty ally to destroy Israel, which is what his goal is. So anyway, this is, this is kind of all the context leading, up, leading us up to where we are. So now this time comes where the Philistines are going to go to war against Israel. And David goes and joins them. And to me, that must have felt very strange as well. Because he knows that he's been living this lie to, to save his skin. And now this is, he's going to have to pay the price for this. Because at this point, he's going to have to join the enemies and actually go and attack Israel. And it's not clear what he would have done in that situation. But thankfully, the, Philistine, the rest of the Philistine kings, they refused to allow him to go to war with them. Because they said, it's guaranteed as soon as we go to war, this guy is going to turn and he's going to attack us and he's going to wipe us out. So he got sent back home. Okay, all of that is a context to get us to where we are right now. We're in Ziklag. He's coming back home again. And what he finds is that his city has been attacked. And it's been burned to the ground. And every single person in that city, his wives, his children, and all of the men that are with them, all of their wives and children, and all their possessions have been taken. So after all of this, this context that we come to, this story of this wild ride of David, he comes back to his city, and everything's gone. And I'm not going to say that this is David's low point in his life. I don't know what was his lowest point. But to me, that feels like that's, that would be the last straw where you look at all that you've done, all that you've tried to do, all that you've tried to gain, all the words that have been spoken over, to, over you, and you come home, your house is in ruins, it's a smoking pit, and everything that you have is gone. And on top of this, it says in verse 6, that David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. And if the low point was the city burning down, I think this must have even been the lower point. Because now these men that have been following him faithfully, that he's been taking care of, that he's been leading, that he's been leading in battle and, and achieving great victories, now everybody wants to stone him. If you think about this context of this story that I've been giving you, and you can see that he's at this place where like, every, all hope is lost. And the next sentence there is so key and every time I read that, it just jumps out at me and, and just speaks to me. It says that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And it's an amazing thing because I believe that I and many of us would, have, would give in to the frustration, give in to the, the discouragement, give in to the despondency. What else is there to do? All hope is lost. Everything is gone. You, everything's wiped out. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And Scripture doesn't tell us how David strengthened himself in the Lord. We don't know what he did specifically. So I can't say, oh, let's give you, I can give you the five keys, and this is what David did, and you go do this. However, if you look through the book of Psalms and find the Psalms that David wrote and read the little, sometimes there's a little subtext behind them, you can see, some, you see a very interesting pattern begin to emerge. And so if we look through a few of them here, I just picked a few because there's a lot of them. Psalm 18 is, is a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord 
the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and the hand of Saul. So this is one of victory, but yet still one of being attacked. And on verse 32, he said, It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. I'm going to continue. Psalm 27, he says, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 28, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. You begin to see a bit of a pattern rising here in David? Now, we don't know when we, he wrote all of these psalms. Some of them were written when he was younger. Some of them were written along this journey. Some of them were written later. But you can see as, as we go through this, there's something in the heart of David that sets him apart and positions him to be in a place when, when all else is lost, that he can strengthen himself in the Lord. Psalm 29 says, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Psalm 31, O love the Lord, all you saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Amen. I mentioned this briefly, this, this scene here. This one is in 1 Samuel. Give me a second here. I had it. 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 15. If you haven't read this story, it's a very interesting one. This is one of the, along the phase where David is running from Saul and he goes to the Philistine king, Abimelech. And as they take him before the king, the king's people say to him, what are you doing? How can you bring this man in here? He is a, he's, he's essentially an Israelite general. He's an enemy of our people. And so David pretends to be insane. He like goes all crazy-eyed and lets spit run down his face into his beard and just goes full crazy in front of the king. And the king sends him away. He says, what is, why have you brought this madman into my presence? But out of that, what did David write? What did he write and sing to the Lord? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I don't know if you realize this, but we use the Psalms a lot as we're entering into worship. A lot. And the reason for that is because it, it positions our heart to worship God out of whatever circumstance we're coming from. Good, bad, or ugly. We come in and we can look at the Psalms and we can worship our God because of his faithfulness, regardless of what we've just come out of. Or regardless of what we're actually still in. I included this one. I love Psalm 119. As a kid, I used to hate trying to read it because when it comes up in your Bible reading, it's like the longest Bible reading ever, and you know it's going to be a long one. But as I mature, I began to really love this chapter. It's got an amazing, amazing um, just thread straight throughout it. But in Psalm 119, David said, it's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And we hear that, that echoed a few other places in Scripture. James comes to mind. Where James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trial of your faith produces patience. And I know I haven't quoted that exactly correct, but you know, there's, there's something there of recognizing that even trials and persecutions are things that God can use to work inside of us, something that is great, something that is wonderful and for his glory. Even Joseph, I, I think about this as well when I, when I um, read this verse. When Joseph is um, in Egypt and he was reconciled with his brothers, there's a scene there, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but there's a scene there 
where his brothers, of course, are terrified because they realize that their brother who they sold into slavery and pretended was dead for all these years is now the second mightiest man in Egypt who could very easily have them all killed and not even blink about it. Like, it would not be a problem for him to do that. And so they come in, and they're, they're terrified, and they, they're kind of humbling themselves before him and, and apologizing profusely for having done this to them, to him. And Joseph's response to them is so key. Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. So even though you intended to do evil to me, even though you intended to wipe me out or to, you know, to actually kill me or to have me sold into slavery at least, God sent me ahead of his people to prepare a place for them. And there's something in that for us to take to heart as well. Regardless of where you are or what you're going through or what, what's happening in your life right now, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether you're on the heights or you're in the depths and whether you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, not only is God with you, not only has he never left you or forsaken you, but he promises to be your strength. He promises to be your strong tower. It's another one. I think that's Psalm 42, if I remember correctly. That the, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous can run into and be saved. Psalm 138, it says, In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. And we can see that David had a history of recognizing the hand of God in his life. And also recognizing, and maybe even more importantly, declaring that God was his strength. Declaring that God was his strong tower. That God was his shield. That God was his dread defender. I love that phrase. And David also learned to worship. And he learned to declare the greatness and magnificence of God regardless of the circumstance that he's currently walking through. We know that from even Psalm 23. I think most of us should know that by heart. That yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David knew this. This was in his heart. And I encourage you with this because when we look at this and say, well, how does this apply to us? How do I take, you know, what David has done and how does that apply in my life? And I'm glad you asked because we're going to get into that. There is something here, though, that I want us to touch on. You know, when it comes down to the words that we say, and how we address ourselves. Because this is one of the keys, if I go back to um, the, the first Samuel there, 30, where David strengthened himself in the Lord. He wasn't waiting for good times to come to feel strong again. He wasn't sitting there waiting for something better to happen. He wasn't waiting for somebody to come along and encourage him. David made a decision to strengthen himself in the Lord. And what I've been trying to show from this, this pattern that we see in the book of Psalms is that David had a lifestyle of speaking the truth of God over himself. And that, to me, is probably one of the biggest keys that we can take away from this, specifically when you're going through it. Because it's great when you're on the heights, right, when you're soaring with eagle's wings, as the Scripture says, and you feel amazing, and worship is amazing, and, and your family is amazing, and your job is amazing, and, life, and the sun is shining, and life's amazing. But the other side of it is what happens when you wake up and you're, and you're feeling like you're, you're just going through it, man. You're under attack by the enemy. It's raining. Everything's getting wet. It's been wet for ages. Never seems to dry out. Right? It just feels like everything is down and you feel that inside your heart. It's like, it's like what's happening outside in the rain is happening in my heart as well. But what happens next? Do you stop? Do you pull back spiritually? Do you 
allow yourself to, to dwell on how you feel and the hurts and the offenses and the pain and the, the sadness and the tiredness and the weariness and the busyness. Weariness and busyness really speak to me. Those are ones that, that seem to always be happening in my life. You can do that, or you can choose to wake up and find that voice that David had in the song. And I love this. You know, I love to just wake up in the morning and just say, Lord, your goodness and your mercies are new every morning. Your grace is sufficient for me. There is something in making that declaration of truth. It's not about psyching ourselves up. It's not about trying to pretend that our situation isn't dire. And that's one of the reasons why I love reading the Psalms so much, and one of the reasons why I believe so many of us do, because you can find your voice in what David is saying to God. There's times of intense frustration. There's times of, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's times of that, and you can, if you walk along with David through these Psalms, you can walk through that and come out the other side and declare the strength of God, declare the victory of God, declare the, the grace and the, um, and the might and the power faithfulness of God. And I don't know about you, but that's something that always gets me. You know, I realize that God is faithful from generation to generation. And he cannot, he will not tell a lie, and he does not change. He was faithful to the generations before. He's faithful to us. He'll be faithful to our children and our grandchildren, should the Lord tarry. And that is something that we can hold on to, the faithfulness of God and his goodness. And I think it's partially because of this that David receives such a commendation from God. In two places I see it. In Acts, in Acts 13 it says that when he had removed him, him being Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Man, I don't know about you, but I would love to have God say that about me. That I'm a man after God's own heart and a man that he can trust to do his will. To me, that is an incredible commendation. As well as in, further down in that same chapter, it says that for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers, saw corruption. That's speaking about David, he fulfilled what God had for him. He completed his task. For David, he would have had well done, good and faithful servant, because he completed what God had for him to do. And this is what God has for each of us as well. Nick spoke about that last week. He talked quite a bit about the, the good works that God has foreordained for us, the things that God has for us to do. Being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, being a part of the body of Christ is not just about who we are. It's about what God has called us to do. And God has called us into a body. He's called us into fellowship. And he's given us these beautiful pictures that are, that are, are quite amazing to behold. The bride is an army of the bride, of the body, of all parts functioning. And you get this understanding that if, if any single one of us sits back and, and decides that because we're feeling really low, that we're not going to come and bring what we have to the body, that the body suffers. It's not just sitting in a seat and worshiping and feeling good and then having some coffee and heading home. You're part of a body. You are called to bring the gift that you have, what God has put in your heart. Whatever talent, whatever gifting God has given you, he's given it to you not just for yourself to enjoy, but for the body. Amen? Amen. You know, I thought about this as I was preparing. When it comes down to bearing fruit, no tree consumes its own fruit. Fruit's for other people. 
So when God has given you the fruits of the Spirit growing in your life, that's not, that's not just that you can have a good time of it. That's so you can bring that and bring that fruit to people around you and bring that fruit to be something of encouragement and of strength and of life and of growth in the body of Christ. It's an awesome and a little bit intimidating fact of what God has called us into as a body. It's, it's, it's amazing, though, and I encourage you with that. David also earned a spot, if you can call it that, it earned a spot, it sounds kind of strange, but in the heroes of the faith that is listed in Hebrews. And in Hebrews 12, it says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong. Just slipped right in there. All these mighty, valiant things that these men and women of God did, and out of that, out of weakness made strong, and became valiant in battle and turned to flight the armies of aliens. This next scripture here is Isaiah 40, and hopefully one that is familiar to each of us, because it's one that uh, I know I pray quite often. I think we do quite a bit especially as we go through things in life. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. Even the young men shall utterly fail, utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When the scripture talks about the young men here that, will ultimate, that can faint and weary and, be, and utterly fall, it's talking about the strength that we ourselves can carry in our own physical capabilities, our ability to persist, our ability to, to, to push on. At times, we get to the end of that. And oftentimes, it's only when we get to the end of our own strength where we finally recognize that God has an abundant storehouse of strength waiting for us to tap into. And I would say I think that we need to learn to start there rather than end there. Because if God has strength for you, strength for your journey, strength for you to walk, run, and fly with wings like eagles, then I recommend that we start there rather than waiting until we get to the end of our own strength to finally throw our hands up and say, okay, God, I'm at the end of my strength. I can't do any more. Because I tell you, he's just, it's like he's waiting there for us to get to that point that he can supply. Because he says what? My power is made perfect in weakness. And there's something in that. Hey, like there's something in us as people where it's a struggle for us to submit. It's part of that sin nature inside of us that needs to be, that needs to die, that needs to go away. Because we would rather try and see if we can do this in our own strength first. I don't know how it is for everybody, but men are quite like that. It's, it's a very much a man thing. I think a lot of people are like this, but I don't know. For us, it's, it's like, yeah, we got this. We don't need instructions. We don't need directions. We don't need help. But we do need most of those things. Instructions we don't need, though. Those, those can go. We don't need those. <laughs> just before I move on, I just want to call your attention to the last three lines there. 
where it talks about mounting up with wings like eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. This to me speaks of, those, of this journey that we have in our life where we have times of, of incredible times with God where we feel as if we're soaring on wings like eagles, where everything is going well, and there's times of just walking, of just plodding. And I feel like a lot of life, a lot more of life is like that, where we just have to put one foot in front of the next, where you get up and you go to work because you have to, not because you love to. You're not waking up excited to go do whatever you do. You're doing it because you have to make money to pay the bills. You're doing what you have to do, and there's this plodding aspect of life. And the strength of God is not just for us to fly and and to soar and to swing from the chandeliers and be incredibly happy. The strength that God has for us is in those times as well, when we're just walking, when we're just putting one foot in front of the next. It's not glamorous. It's not exciting. But we know it's going to get us where where we have to go. And we're just going to walk. We're just going to keep on walking. And we have the option of of stopping and of drawing back and of shrinking back and and of essentially just taking ourselves out of the race, but why would we? You know, I, I don't know if you remember, but the words of the disciples, is when, they, when Jesus asked them, are you also going to leave? They said, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. And I don't know if you've ever sat down and thought and said, does this world actually have anything? Anything to offer me? Anything that's exciting? Anything that can take away that is better than being part of the kingdom? I don't know of any. Jesus alone has the words of life. To me, failing is not an option. Falling is not an option. Not because I'm stronger than anybody, but because what, there's nothing else out there that I would rather do than follow God and follow after him to the end. And he gives us strength for that. He gives us strength for that, not just to be powerful and mighty and lay hands on the sick and see them recovered, although there is part of that as well. But he has strength for us to be men and women of God, to be husbands, to be fathers, to be wives, to be mothers, to be... Um, to be children, to be in school and studying and to be, you know, playing sports and doing our best, to be serving him with all our hearts in the, in the mundane day-to-day of life. When you get up and you just put on your shoes and you go to work and you serve God and you serve him with a joyful heart because he's worthy to be praised, because he's worthy of the sacrifice of your life laid down for him, not because you feel tremendous at that moment. And that is a key to growing in maturity in God, where it doesn't become about how you feel. And I've given this some thought. I realize this in my own life, because I'm not a person that feels, I'm not a very emotional person in many ways. There's been times when I'm in situations, I'm like, I feel like I should probably feel something more, but I don't. I'm a bit more stoic in some ways. But I realize that, that my feelings don't really matter to me as much as they, as they might. What matters to me is the truth. And so I serve God not because it feels good, but because it is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And what's, what is freeing about that is that it doesn't really matter how I feel. For example, regardless of how I feel tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm still a husband. I'm still a father. I still have to pay the bills. None of those things go away, regardless of how I feel. And it's the same in the kingdom. Who you are in the kingdom of God, who you are in Christ, doesn't change based on how you feel. I think we've heard that quite a few times from Nick over the last couple months as he's been preaching through Ephesians. And what this means to you is that when you wake up in the morning, or when you're going through circumstances and you're going through hard times, which you will, 
If you haven't or if you're going through great times, awesome, praise God. But those times are part of this life as well. The decision that we make has to be based on what we know to be true, not on how we feel at the moment. Imagine if you're, you know, husbands and wives, if you treated each other based on feelings all the time. Well, the world does. That's why, the, that's why divorce is so high. It's like, well, I don't feel like I love you anymore. It doesn't really matter. You committed to love this person. You committed to this person for the rest of your life. Okay, so now what happens? If I have to do this marriage, if I can't just walk away from it because I'm not feeling it today, then I now make a choice to love this woman the way Christ loves the church and to lead her and to serve her and to, and to live a life like Christ for her, just using my own analogy here, regardless of how I feel. And so I don't look and say, well, I'm not feeling like being a Christian. I'm not feeling like serving. I'm not feeling like giving. I'm not feeling like coming out to, this, to Sunday morning. I'm not feeling like going out to prayer meeting. It doesn't really matter. You're part of a body. God has called you to walk in fellowship and union with the body of Christ around you. The body needs you. You need the body. This is how God has ordained it to be. And I've said this many times, and I'll probably keep saying it. There's been many times when it's like prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and you're like, ah, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go. It's been a rough week. I'm busy. got stuff to do. I'm exhausted. And I'm like, no, we're, we're going to go. We're, we're going. This is what we're doing. We just drag ourselves. Eat. Nick, Nick said it so well last week. Just drag your body and just throw it across the line because you got to get there. And I have never once regretted going to church and praying on Wednesday night. Never once. Think about that. Think about how many movies you've watched where you're like, well, that's two hours of my life I'll never get back. Right? Think about that. God is faithful, people. He is faithful. He is worthy. He is worthy. And I hope and I pray that this is a word that is encouraging to you, not one that makes you feel more down on yourself if you're missing it in some way. I challenge you with that if that's what you're feeling, that God's grace and his strength is there for you, waiting for you to push into it. Just waiting for you to step out of whatever you're feeling right now, even if it's the valley of the shadow of death, and step into what he has for you. In 2 Corinthians, this is Paul speaking, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. There's a lot there. And we know Paul's life, he went through a lot of these things. And he rejoices in them. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is key in Scripture. We see it time and time again. It's not our strength that we bring to the table that, that God uses. It's, that, it's often our weakness. It's our tiredness, it's our weariness, it's our discouragement. The times when we feel most alone, the times when we feel like, you know, like we've been forgotten in a sense, or that we're still waiting, like, God, why am I still in this? Why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still going through this? And that discouragement sets in. Well, I, I tell you, the, the scripture is right here. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And if you are feeling weak, if you are feeling low, if you are feeling less than, Congratulations. You're in the right spot to receive his power. You're in the right spot. It doesn't disqualify you. It actually qualifies you for what he has for you. In Hebrews, and I'm coming to the end here, I promise. In Hebrews 10 here, it talks about 
a scripture that really has, has stuck with me quite a bit over the last few years. It says, we do not throw, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Anybody say amen to that? Yeah, amen. We do need endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I don't know about you, but that hits hard. So I know how easy it is to shrink back. Spiritually, just kind of ease off the gas a bit. Just let my prayers be less. Let my worship be less. Let everything be less. Because I'm not feeling it. And it's easy to just kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I'm offended, I'm hurt, I'm discouraged, I'm tired. Like there's, you fill in the blank with whatever, whatever's going on in your own heart right now. And because of that, I, 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 can't, I can't contribute. I don't have anything to give. I can't, I can't do anything. <clears throat> the very next verse, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And I encourage you with this, that we are not those who shrink back. And maybe you are. Maybe you feel that right now. Maybe this, maybe this word is hitting you and you're like, eh, that is me. Well, the good news is that while today is yet today, you have the opportunity to come before God and to change that. You have the opportunity to reach out to him and to, if, if repentance is necessary, then do so. Don't waste time. If you need to get out of your own head and accept the strength that God has for you and recognize that even though you are weak, that in your weakness that he is strong, then now's the time to do it. Because I tell you, when it talks about, you know, those who shrink back and are destroyed, it says, the next phrase says that, that we're of those who have faith. Now, what is faith? Do you remember? The shield of? I said the other way around. I should have said it some ways you could say shield. Faith is the shield. And the thing with having a shield, with the battle that we're in right now, the darts and the attacks of the enemy, they don't come intermittently. They don't come every six months. They don't come every year or two. It's a constant attack. It's a constant barrage of the enemy to try to take us out of God's will. And if we are those who shrink back and begin to lower that shield of faith, then we're going to be getting hit time and time and time and time and time and time again. And that's why this verse is here for us to challenge us to encourage us to pick up that shield of faith and to be those who press into God no matter the circumstances, no matter the feelings, no matter what you're going through, because His grace is sufficient for you. Amen? Can we stand together? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us all. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I just pray, Lord, that I pray for each and every one of us here, Lord, my own heart included, that we will not be those who shrink back. It will be those who press in. It will be those who recognize our weakness and actually rejoice in it and say, that's great. My weakness equals God's strength. And Lord, forgive us for every time that we have allowed ourselves to try and push in our own strength and ultimately found it insufficient and then just stop there. I pray, Lord, for each and every single one of us that we will look to you and find that when we are weak that you are strong 
and glory in that, even in the persecutions and in the trials and in the, and in the struggles and in the warfare and in the tiredness and the weariness and the discouragement and the offenses, Lord, that we'll be quick to come before you and say, Lord, this is what I've got. It's frustrating. I'm angry, but you are worthy and you are my banner. You are my strong tower and you are the one that I run to. I just encourage you that as we worship this, as we worship together and just sing this next song, use this opportunity. If there's something there, if you know you need to repent, just do it. If you're at, if, if you're at the end or you're close to the end and you realize that your own strength is not sufficient, just raise your hands and tell God that his strength is. And you're ready for that. You're ready to stop doing it on your own. You're ready to use what he has for you. Let's just worship together and just allow God to work in your hearts.